God bless you guys. I just want to say again, thanks for uh, joining us this morning as we worship the Lord as we dive into the Word of God. God has already been speaking to our hearts this morning, and I uh, just thank Him for that. Um, the book of James, James says that, uh, that when we hear, we need to be also doers, right? He said, be doers of the Word. When we hear, he said, sometimes... We hear, and, 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 and if you're, you're like me, sometimes I have to really pause and I think about it. Because James says, sometimes when we hear, we walk away and we forget, right? And so, when we gather together and worship together, um, there are proclamations. There's the word of the Lord, there's preaching, there's uh, worship. And so there's proclamation. And then for all of us, after proclamation, it has to be application, right? That's the part where you say, God, what are you saying to me? And how am I going to walk that out? And so I encourage you to really begin to ask the Lord what He is saying to you. He's been speaking already, and my prayer is that He will continue to speak to us. Um, will you pray with me as we, uh, as we go again dive into the Word of God, dive into this new series, very excited about it. God, thank you for who you are. Lord, that human wisdom and, and human language is so limited to make a declaration of what all of you encompass. But Lord, as we open up the Word of God and we say, Who are you, God? And we look at the Scriptures and we find your heart, oh God, I pray that you would speak to us. But Lord, as the proclamation is made, that we would make that application, we would say, God, I, I want to know you more. I want to walk with you in a deeper way. So Holy Spirit, help us to know God deeper. Help us to know Jesus more closely. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, if you are, again, if you are new with us, thank you for being here. We're starting a new series, sermon series called God Is. Um, we're going to be uh, examining the attributes of God, who He is, who we are in Him, what He has done. My heart, my soul, my, I mean, my desire for all of us is that we come away loving God more, that this series will stir up your love and your affection and your devotion to Jesus like never before. And so we're going to be looking at His attributes, some of His attributes. He is so much more than what we will cover. And so I encourage you to dig in the Word of God. And that is the Word of God. God's Word is His, is his love story to us. It is His Him writing to us. And so it, it is the, uh, the main way He speaks to us to tell us who He is. And, uh, and so, again, I, I encourage you that, that, that this is your, your, your devotion, your affection to get into God's Word. But again, we, we, this will not be an exhaustive thing by any stretch. Uh, he is so much more than what we will talk about. We'll probably just scratch the surface. Um, but as we begin, I, I want to look at some key things to help, uh, help people talk in our minds kind of clear about the attributes of God. Um, this is not on the screen, but I, I just as we begin, I want to talk a little bit about this. Number one, he doesn't leave one attribute for another, right? He is gracious, what we talk about, and we're gonna again we're gonna be we're gonna be using a lot of these words of who God is. He is gracious, but he's also a righteous judge. Does that make sense? So when we talk about his graciousness, that, that, that doesn't mean that he is gracious and then he stops being a righteous judge. He is all of that. He is love, 
but he also is not tolerant of our sinfulness. Right? He is love, but he doesn't tolerate our sinfulness. And what does that mean? That means he loves us also. His love is demonstrated in that he disciplines us as his children. Hebrews says that, you know, when, when you bring discipline to your own kids, it's because that you love them and you want to bring the best to them and you want the best. I and mean, this is the story of God. Is when he says, I don't want to tolerate your sinfulness because I love you too much. And so he doesn't walk away from one to another. We also can't just pick and choose the attributes of God that we like and ignore the others. God, I like the grace stuff, but if you could really calm down from that judgment stuff, that would be fantastic. Again, he's purposeful, intentional when he brings correction and he brings judgment out of his love for us. So we can't pick and choose. We can't ignore the ones that maybe make us uncomfortable. Paul wrote in Romans, he said, Behold the kindness and severity of God. Yes, behold His kindness, but behold His severity that He created you, that He has you in the palm of His hand, that we are not God, but He is. We cannot fit God into a God box of our own making, a Jesus of our own creation, right? He is who He is, and we can't define Him. We can't say, God, well, God would never do this or that. God is only who I say He is. We must be very careful that we cannot fit them within a box of our own making. And that, again, that's why we need the Word of God so desperately. It unpacks who He is in deep ways. Paul says this in, in Romans 11, he says, His ways are unsearchable. Isn't that really awesome? His ways are unsearchable. And so when we look at His attributes, we only scratch the surface. We'll never be able to completely understand the mystery and uh, of who God is completely. But we, more and more, every day, that He reveals more and more to of Himself to us because He loves us and wants relationship with us. All of this, He wants relationship. He wants to reveal more and more who He is because He loves us deeply. And so His attributes are found, they are discovered, they are learned also through who Jesus is. Paul wrote this in Colossians that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So everything in Christ, He holds all of those attributes and we find the attributes of Jesus. And also the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said this to the Holy Spirit is that He testifies of me. And so the power and predominant work of the power of the Holy Spirit is He reveals Christ. He reveals these attributes to us to make us more and more like Jesus because that's the goal, right? To become more and more like Him. So that's a little setup of the attributes of God. So with that, we're going to jump into week one that God is merciful. Aren't you glad that God is merciful? What does it mean that God is merciful? We're going to look at Scripture to help us. Again, this is not an exhaustive sermon on God's mercy. You could probably do a 12 week sermon series on God's mercy. Because if you begin to look at all the passages that talk about God's mercy, you would have plenty. We're going to look at a few of those today. We're not going to, again, we're not going to, we're just going to scratch the surface, but we're going to get a little handle on what it means that God is merciful, how He shows His mercy to us. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Isn't that a great passage? Love that passage about God 
David writes in Psalm 125, 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. That the word compassion there is, it can be, uh, you know, interchanged with mercy. Slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies over, over all His words. And the reason why I pick those two out, and, and, and you may have a favorite passage, but these declarations of God's mercy are found in numerous passages of the Scripture. You will find that the, the Old Testament, that the, the prophets wrote about this, the books, you'll find it in the New Testament that they say God is full of mercy and compassion. He is filled with unfailing love. He's slow to get angry, rich in love. And we find these declarations over and over. We even see it again through Jesus. We see him when he would look at the crowds, whether they say that his heart was filled with compassion for them. Mercy. He wanted to extend mercy. He said, one, one place he said, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he felt great mercy and compassion for them. And when Jesus looks at you and me, he looks at us with great mercy and compassion. And so, to help us understand God's mercy and how often it is, we're going to dig into what it means. The word in the Hebrew, again, you can, if you just were picking up a, a, a word to use, it would be compassion, but as you have heard me share over the last few weeks when I talk about a word, it's a lot deeper than that. The word mercy in the Hebrew is actually to grant or be, to bestow upon someone even in a legal way. Right? So it's compassion in a legal way that you can bestow upon some. In other words, you are, that person is justified to give mercy. They are the only ones that can give mercy in a legal way. You get, you get where I'm going with this? That God is a righteous judge and He's the one that can, can extend that type of mercy to bestow upon them. And so the, the difference between, you know, when we hear compassion, or the difference between feeling sorry for someone, that is a form of compassion. We are to have that. I encourage you, when you share in the compassion of Christ, that He would, times that He would feel sorry for someone, and then He would act and He would do something about it, His compassion would always be seen followed with action. But there's a difference between just feeling sorry for someone. We should do that. Again, we should hold um, we, we, we should hold that in our heart. We should be looking for ways that we can share God's compassion towards people. But there's a difference between just feeling sorry for someone and God's mercy and compassion that is defined here. That is, let me give it to you. The mercy and compassion is out of His amazing love that has the ability and the power to absolve someone of the guilt that they deserve. Catch that? Say it again. God's mercy and compassion is out of His amazing love that He has the ability and power to exalt them of the guilt that they deserve. So the difference between God's mercy and grace and His God's mercy and grace is so the next slide. You hear mercy and grace used a lot, but there is a difference. And let's look at that. They're seen together a lot, and, and again, these passages God is gracious and merciful. They are significant to us. But mercy is us not getting what we justly deserve. Are you tracking along with that? That's mercy. We don't get 
what we truly deserve. Grace is it's us given what we do not deserve. It's a little different, it's kind of in our play of words, but you will understand the difference as we move along. The difference between mercy and grace, but they work together. To truly grasp what it means to receive God's mercy, we must first understand that we deserve punishment for our sins. If you do not think that you deserve punishment and justice for your sins, you will never truly understand the awesomeness and vastness of God's mercy for you. If you don't understand, again, that's why you don't step out of one to the other. You don't, if you understand that He is righteous judge and we deserve to be punished for our sins, we deserve hell, we deserve eternal punishment for our sins, if you don't believe that we don't deserve that, you will never completely grasp how awesome His mercy is. So mercy and grace go hand in hand. Here's a little analogy. You're in a courtroom. And up on the bench is a perfectly righteous judge, right? You're in a courtroom, you're standing before this perfect righteous judge who can administer punishment and guilt. You come in, you and I are there, we are the guilty party. We know we're guilty. Again, this is how you receive God's mercy. If you walk into that spiritual courtroom and you don't feel like that you deserve it, you're not going to completely understand. But if you understand, you're standing before this righteous judge who's perfect and holy and just, and you're standing before him, and you're guilty, you know that you're guilty. And then he says this to you. Another has paid for your punishment in full and you're free because of that. That's mercy. That's mercy. You deserve death. You deserve the full punishment that comes because of sinfulness and because of breaking God's laws. But He sets you free because someone else paid the price for you. Now your freedom hinges on something. You don't you don't just get it. It's just not you don't just get it. If you it hinges on you receiving the payment together, turning from your sins, repenting, and giving your life to Him. That's salvation. But you understand, so that if you're not getting what you deserve, and you're standing for this righteous judgment, because of the cross, Jesus paid your death sentence. When you understand that, and when you that's why we should never forget the cross. One of when Paul says, I won't, I, I won't ever stop preaching the cross because it reminds us, it makes you fall on your knees in awe and say, God, thank you for your mercy. I'm giving my life. That's mercy. Then when you think it's over, you get grace. If you thought that that was the final deal, that's sweet in and of itself. Maybe you're not going to get punished for what you deserve. The judge didn't make another unbelievable offer to you. Not only will you not be held accountable for your guilt, but the judge, because of the payment made for you, wants to adopt you into his family and give you all of the benefits and the inheritance from his heart that is priceless. That's grace. You just got what you don't. Isn't that amazing? 
That is God. That is that is His mercy and His grace working hand in hand to bring us not only the forgiveness of sins, but the adoption as sons and daughters into His family, and that we get the inheritance of heaven. Guys, if that doesn't make you excited about Jesus, I don't know what will. If you've ever heard anything else, and it will turn to stomach because we hear a lot of religious stuff that that that, that just seems to focus on morality, that moral, you know, that, that, that I somehow, I have to make myself more moral to get God to like me. That is not the gospel. The gospel says I can't be more moral, and I need Christ in me. I need the Holy Spirit. And yes, when I get in my life, He helps to change those things in me, and I become more moral, and I want to follow Him because of His great love for me. There's a difference. God, thank you for your mercy. So when we get a full picture of this, we want to honor and adore Him and give Him my, my life. And His mercy and grace are found only through Jesus Christ. You cannot get God's mercy outside of Jesus. Culture or secular humanism or liberal theology says this, you're not that bad. You're not that bad. You're basically pretty good. There's only one problem with that. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that we are wicked, that we are full of death. And what happens is, well, I'm not that wicked compared to, and we start comparing, right? At least I didn't do that. At least I, at least I didn't do that or this or this. The Bible dismisses that we all are in need of God's mercy. We're not basically pretty good. If we were basically pretty good, the cross would not have been needed. When you see the brutality of the cross, that should be the revelation to all of us that we're not basically pretty good. God heaved on Jesus the punishment of all of us. And we look at that horrific event and we say, I'm not pretty good. I'm not basically good. Until we realize how dark, wretched, and sinful and deserving of punishment, we won't truly understand God's great mercy. And I would say that to the level that you understand God's mercy, you will, under, you will understand and stand in awe of His mercy. To the level that you understand it, you will be in awe of it. And so when you understand that I deserve I deserve death. Let's look at a couple of examples here. Jesus tells the servant uh, this story. You can look at this up at a different time. I'm just going to blast through these. The answer getting stolen. Some of you guys are familiar with that. This guy owed just a very little to his master. It's a debt, and it was, you know, I mean, if we're going to just use it in, 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 in our terminology, maybe a few hundred dollars, 500 bucks. He owes this guy. And this guy says, all right, I've given you plenty of time to pay it off. You have not paid it off, and so you will have to go to a debtor's prison until it is all paid off. And so we will take you, we will take you captive. I, I own you now, and I can put you in a debtor's prison until it's all paid off. And what does this guy do? He falls down before his master and he says, please, have mercy on me. Please have mercy. You are, you are justified to do that. You, you are justified to send me to the debtor's prison. But please, please have mercy on me. And the, the judge, or the, uh, the, the, his master, feels compassion for him. And he says, all right, all right. I will relent, and I'm going to absolve your debt. I'm sorry, it was not a 500. This was millions. Sorry. 
You guys are tracking along. It's going to go away because I'm not evidently. This guy owed millions. He could not pay any of it back. It was millions and millions of dollars. Okay? Switched up. So he gets absolved for all of that. Can you imagine being relieved of a debt of millions of dollars? How many of you happy about that? How many of you ecstatic about that? Okay, the rest of you, I don't know where your heart is, but uh, no, I want to pay it back. Um, and so that guy immediately leaves his master and he goes to someone who owes him just a few hundred bucks. Because he's just been forgiven this. And he goes up to this guy and he says, you owe me $500 and I want it now. And the guy gives him the things that he's to do. I don't have it. I, 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 I just don't have it right now. And he asks you for mercy. And what this guy did is he says, he talks with him. And he says, take him to the debtor's prison and he will, he will be taken away. And they took him away into the debtor's prison. And then the confrontation where some told the, the first master of what he had done. And he said, take this wicked servant and lock him up. He said, I, he was forgiven much. But then he did not turn around and did. You see, we are supposed to extend God's mercy and compassion to others. And we get this idea that we all have a debt we cannot pay. None of us can be good enough, moral enough to give God's forgiveness. We have to fall on the mercy of Jesus. And so Jesus tells the story about God's mercy. Then you have the Pharisee and the tax collector. That's these two guys that are praying. Remember this? The Pharisee who's praying a serious spiritual prayer. You know, he's got his, all of his holy garb on, you know, and he's saying, God, thank you that I'm so awesome. That's basically his prayer. When you start to pray like that, you may be in danger. God, thank you that I am awesome. Thank you that I fast twice a week, that I give to the poor, and you have just, you know, you broke the mold with me. God, thank you. Um, and then he even says, and there's a guy in there with him, the tax collector, who is tax collectors are not very popular. Even today, it's interesting. Um, these guys work for the Roman government. And so he's, and then his prayer even includes the comparison. And thank you, God, that I'm not like him. That's a problem. It's, it's kind of humorously tragic. And then it says the tax collector just, he said it wouldn't even look up. He just beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, sinner. And Jesus said, that man was justified that way. Because he understood, I'm not that good. I'm broken and I need a Savior. The other one thought that his good work somehow made him special. And then Paul said these famous passages, Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. All. All in Greek means all, if you the words say. Romans 16, it says, the wages for those sins is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Those are in Those are that Romans road, that way to witness to people is we are all, we all fall to the God's standard. We all deserve the punishment of death, and Jesus paid the price of sins because of what Christ has done. Other scriptures on God's mercy. Let's look at those real quick. This is David. Remember when David was confronted after he blew it majorly? He had a major sin. He said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my sin, scratch me, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from sin. This is a great prayer. Wash me from, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion that haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right. Here's the justice for you. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Don't miss that. 
God, I want your mercy. I recognize my rebellion, and you are proved right by your justice, right? That's, that's understanding God's mercy. I, I, I acknowledge my rebellion. I need your mercy. And God, you are just. You could punish me, and you would be right in doing so. That's the way to get God's mercy. Let's look at the next one. Paul writes this. This after the New Testament. All of us used to live that way. And we're talking about in wickedness, following the constant desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. We're subject to God's judgment, His anger. And when it says that God's anger is different than human anger, His anger is built out of His great love for us. But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life and He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Let's go to verses next verse. Next slide. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ who seated us with Him in the heavenly realm. There's the inheritance. Isn't that cool? We go from wicked to understanding God's mercy now we're seated with Christ in heavenly realm. Because we are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It is not about our goodness. It's about God's mercy and His grace. And we fall on that every day. And the next one, very quickly. Titus. Once we were foolish and disobedient. This is all of our story. You see how this unpacks. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He couldn't be glad for the promises that we have in Christ because of His mercy. And so God's mercy, some, some of you guys, you need to receive God's mercy. Yeah. Then you need to believe that His mercy is for you. And like what I said before, and what Bell gave that word, and some of you guys might be living in the shame of your past thinking that, that, that His mercy is beyond your reach. Let me tell you emphatically that it is not. That through the cross of Christ that He reaches to you in your rebellion, in your stench, in the deep mud and mire, as they call it, and He pulls you out of that and He makes you a son and daughter. That's what He wants for you. His mercy is for you. You're not too far gone and you need to receive His mercy and His grace in a new way. He wants your life. He sees your sin and He loves you too. He wants to set you free from that. He doesn't want you to live in the sin, but He wants to pull you out of it. We also need to be reminded of, our, of, of, of God's mercy that He wants to give the church to give others. We need to begin to pray like never before for God's mercy for the world. The mission of Jesus is He saw them as sheep without a shepherd and He had compassion on them. And He told us, He said, look out there, the harvest is ripe. And there's souls out there that need the mercy of God. And it's very easy for us to get comfortable and forget from which where we have fallen. And that we forget that we at one time were a broken mess and we still kind of are. And we need His salvation and His grace and His mercy every day. But it's easy for us to forget, get comfortable in our own little world, get religious. It's very easy for us to want mercy for ourselves and we want justice for others. Right? 
God have mercy on us. I'm going to finish with the story of Jonah. But we need to pray for God's mercy for others, for the lost, even for the wicked. If, let me just go ahead and say, if Jonah was one of your childhood heroes, I apologize in advance. We remember the little final graph. Remember the, the guy smiling and Jonah and the big bit that's like smiling too. Yeah, I just ate the guy. You know, um, it's really funny, but this story, when you look at it, it is actually, I believe, a, a prophetic picture to the church for those that belong to Christ. Jonah wasn't that great of a guy. And we're going to see why. So sorry, he was here for you. Instead of the story, chapter 1, remember God says, go to Nineveh. Now, let me, let me just give you a little idea here. Jonah's a prophet for Israel. Go to Nineveh, the city, the capital of, uh, of Assyria. This is the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel. This would be like God coming to you in your room and say, I've got, got a job for you. I want you to get on a plane, and I want you to uh, go right into the heart of Afghanistan. And there's going to be a group, it's three groups, they're called the Taliban, the Al-Qaeda, and ISIS. And I want you to go into the group, and I want you to preach to them. And I want you to tell them that my judgment is going to come upon them in 40 days. Okay, you, you, get, you get the idea? Everybody's shaking a little bit? Very similar. The Assyrians were brutal enemies of Israel. Cruel. And so what does Jonah do? He says, nope, not going to do that. And he gets on a boat and he sells the parties. It's the exact opposite of what. So that's God's saying, I want you to go to California, you get on the plane to New York. This is my response to God, no. Not just no, but really no. I'm not even thinking about it, no. He gets on a boat, heading to Tarsus. How do you know that you cannot outrun God or run away from Him? Because God says, I want you to go tell them because of their sins, I'm going to destroy them. He got in the boat went the other way. We know that what happened, God sends a storm, right? The boat is being rocked and they're trying to throw out, you know, throw, throw, throw stuff out to make it lighter. And Jonah has the, you know, he kind of has the epiphany. This is because of me. And so they're like, no, let's try this and try that. And there's nothing getting worse. And he says, throw me over. And after a while, the guys say, okay, this guy probably has something. Throw him over. They pitch him over the, the storm calms, and God appoints a massive fish to swallow Jonah. And he's in this fish for three days. Has a little time to think about it. If you're ever in the stomach of a fish, you have a few days to think. So in chapter 2, we have him, and he has basically his own set of song. If you read the, the song of repentance and realization of who God is, okay, I'll go. This spits him up. He goes, chapter 3, it's only four chapters. He preaches to Nineveh, goes into the city, begins to proclaim the word of the Lord. In 40 days, God's going to sit in judgment. They hear, they repent, they turn from their sins. Even the king's puts on sackcloth and ashes and calls the people to repent, then God relents from His plan to judge them. And we all would like, man, the ending of Jonah would be phenomenal right there. And we have chapter 4. 
And I'm imagining, I, 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 I'm praying to God that Jonah's there in heaven, and I'm wondering if people, like, uh, I'm thinking, God, please remove chapter 4 from the Bible. But God does not, because I believe God wants to speak not only to Jonah, but He wants to speak to us about His mercy. This is a story, it's a study on God's mercy. Of the depths that God will go to save people. So I'm going to read. Let's go back. Yeah, here we go. So God relents, and here this change of plans greatly upsets Jonah. Right? We're going to read along here. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? That is why I ran away to Tarsus. Do you understand? He's not running because he's afraid of the Assyrians. He's running because he wants God to barbecue him. Isn't that something? That's what he's saying. I knew you were going to do this. That's why I ran away. I knew that you are. And here's the complaint. Can you imagine? He's not worshiping God here. He's saying, I know you're merciful and compassionate and slow to get angry and filled with unveiling love. Why, God, are you like that? We would think that we would read that in all five years ago, like David and so many other passages in Scripture where they recognize God's compassion. I knew that you were merciful. And then he's like, and you're eager to turn back from destroying people. You know, I mean, what are you thinking here? You should be celebrating this, right? Where is his heart? Where is our heart? Verse 3, it gets worse. Just kill me now. Kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive what I predicted will not happen. Kill them all, Lord. Smoke them. Kill them. I, that's what I want to see. You got little kids. Sorry, this pretty bad one. I'd rather be dead than alive what I predicted will not happen. Then the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to put as he waited to see what God, see what would happen to the city. So he goes and he builds a little shelter. He's still hoping that God brings down fire on these people. So he's going he's to have a little, you know, hillside show. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. God appointed a fish, a storm, a fish, and now a plant. And soon it spreads broad leaves over Jonah's head. So he's sitting there for a while. And you see a fast-growing plant shading him from the sun. So you know God said in 40 days I'm going to bring judgment. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. God, thank you for my comfort. Thank you for this little shade. But then verse 7, God also arranged for a worm. God's in charge of your circumstances. God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the similar plants so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. All this is the storm, the fish, the plants. Now there's an east wind. The sun beat down on his head and he grew faint and he was to die. Death is certainly better than living like this. Well, who told the guy to sit there? He explained, verse 9. 
Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, and here's how the book of Jonah ends. You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's the way Jonah ends. I know some of you guys that have him as a hero, your heart's crushed right now. God will minister to you. What is God wanting to say to the church? Because this is a study on God's mercy. It is very easy for us to live in our own comfort and then we forget about the world out there. We live for our stuff, sing my songs, do my thing, don't make me uncomfortable, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause me some discomfort. And God says, there is a mission and a vision out there. There are people out there, and just like you look over men about who said, there are 120,000 people living in the spiritual body and I love it, I want to show my mercy. And what was Jonah's complaint? I knew, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, and you want to rescue people. When, when that becomes a complaint and you begin to forget about what God has called us to do, that we receive His mercy and that we are now therefore supposed to pray for and extend God's mercy to others, we have missed what He is calling us to do. And then the church just begins to turn in on itself and become like a little country club for members. And we forget about those that are out there who for comfort, this leaky plant that eased him. What is your comfort? What is your leaky plant? What is that place of comfort that you would say, oh God, I'd rather die than not have my comfort? Instead of praying, Jonathan, God, please. So it makes you wonder if his heart was like that. His preaching wasn't even very good in Nineveh, Right? He probably wasn't even that compelling. I'm going to kill you. Not, please come to the Lord. God loves you and He has a plan for you and He doesn't want to judge you. God's going to kill you. I'll be up on the hill watching. They heard and they turned and they said, God, please forgive us. And God relented. And he, I, don't, I don't want to bring judgment on people. I love people. What's your leaky plant? Because God wants to point a worm to it for your, for, for your good. That we will begin to catch the heart of God and say, God, thank you for the mercy. It's funny how Jonah forgot the mercy that was extended him, right? You're in, the, you're, in, you're in a fit for three days. God could have just left you there. And God reached down and showed him mercy and said, You relented. You repented, chapter 2. I had to, I had to just spit you out. That was mercy. You would think you would say, God in heaven, thank you. I want to now go extend that mercy to others. Where does his heart have to be? Where are our hearts today? When we forget God's mercy for ourselves, that we deserve death. And the cross was for me. God, call us out of comfort. Call us into your mercy to extend mercy. And then, who are the Ninevites in our life? Think about that. People that you, when we 
think about things that make us angry, people that make us angry. Is it, is it those people over there, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and all the terrorists and refugees that blah, 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 and we can get in complaining and we can say, well, we can't do this, we can't let them in our country, and I'm not saying that there couldn't be some wisdom in how they let them in, uh, we can get on all that political discussion, but you know what, we can tend to the 1040 window for years and years and not bring the 1040 window into our backyard, and some of us are saying, keep on up. America isn't the kingdom of God. Sorry to burst the bubble. We live in the kingdom of God. We live in a different kingdom. The kingdom of Christ. We are to advance this kingdom. Again, I'm not saying that there's not political things and strategies and wisdom and ways to handle things. I, I, I believe that. But we should be calling for mercy. God, have mercy on those people in ISIS. Have mercy on that Al-Qaeda. Have mercy on groups that are not like us. But sometimes in, our, in the darkness of our own heart, we might stand back and look away and say, God, whether you just pummel them, destroy them. God is trying to help turn our hearts and pray for His mercy and His grace for people around us, people that are in spiritual darkness. Jesus, we love you. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts today, God, on your grace and mercy in a new way. That we would receive your mercy, Lord, and then extend your mercy and your compassion to others. Lord, that we would never forget the cross. Lord, we wouldn't just live for our own comfort. We wouldn't just live for our, what we want, our own preferences. But Lord, we would have eyes to see. Like you described in the people of Nineveh, people that are living in spiritual darkness and that you want to save them. God, may we be a part of that. That Jesus, you said, my mission is to seek and save the lost and you would be on mission with you to do that. God, forgive us for our judgment of hearts. God, forgive us where we have sat on the side of the hill and we've waited for you to just we're praying for judgment, but we've wanted mercy for ourselves. God, forgive us. Help us to have your heart. Help us to see with your eyes. God, we do pray for mercy. We pray for mercy. Lord, for ISIS, for people that are in darkness. For Al Qaeda, those people, even 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 the people that we might be around us that we don't maybe we don't care for around us, we pray for mercy, we pray for grace, because eyes of mercy. We're going to close with communion today. I think what a right way to close our time together. Um, I encourage you again as you receive communion. Why do we do that? We take communion to remember to remember the death of Jesus, the cross of Christ, and what that means to us as believers. And that let it be let it be something today that stirs up again that that God help me to remember your mercy to me. Help me to remember how much you love me. Help me to remember God that I deserve death. I deserve punishment but you extended mercy. That's why we remember that is why we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes back. And we're told in Scripture that we are to do that, proclaiming His death until He returns. I love you, God. Dad. Some of you guys need to call out to the Heavenly Father like that.